Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Metal Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be chatting with Wally Ritchie. Wally is a former Major League pitcher. He's a lefty, pitched with the Philadelphia Phillies from 87 to 1992. He's got some awesome stories for us, so we're going to dive in deep with former Major League pitcher Wally Ritchie. Hey, Wally, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Good, Chad. Thanks for having me on. And I'm excited to see. It's been a few years since I, you know, I, last time I saw you were at Snow Canyon High School up in St. George. Great College. times. Yeah. So we're, we're going to dive into that where we met. And uh, I, in fact, maybe we'll just start there. You know, what we, we first met, you were a pitching coach up in St. George at uh, Snow Canyon High School. How long did you coach? out in Snow Canyon with our boy Reed Seacrest. Oh, I coached with Reed for the better part of 14 years. I, there was a little gap in there when I went to BYU for that year, but um, yeah, it was close to 14 years I was with Reed at Snow Canyon High School. Okay, so we're, I, I wanted to kind of introduce where we met, and now let's, let's go way back. Let's go way back in time, because you, you pitched in the big leagues, in my research, it was from 87 to 1992. So that's, that's awesome. So we're going to talk about the Phillies. We're going to share some stories here. But where did Wally Ritchie grow up? What was your upbringing like? I grew up in Glendale, California. So it's a suburb of L.A. Um, and my parents, my dad, still lives in the same house I grew up in. Um, so really stable family and didn't move a lot. Um, and we just, I loved baseball from the time I got started. My first uniform was a Dodger uniform when I was four years old, and I wore that thing out. Were you, were you forced into it, or would you gladly accept that? Oh, I gladly accepted that one. <laughs> so you're, you're Dodger blue through and through then? Yep, grew up with them about 15 minutes from Dodger Stadium, and, you know, that's who I grew up with and still follow them. And, of course, I follow the Phillies because I played with them. Um, but, yeah, so I started out T-ball, Little League, Babe Ruth, American Legion, up through high school. And so it's I played the whole way through. Okay. So you're, uh, for our audience, you're a left-handed pitcher. So you were – now, some, some people were born just pure left-handed. It's kind of funny because my dad says, and he has pitchers to prove it, when I was – I'm actually left-handed. Meaning, so I write and I eat left-handed. And when I started to throw, like at two, three, four years, like really young, my uncle was actually also left-handed. So he gave me a glove, put it on my right hand, and I started throwing left-handed. And, mm -hmm. and my dad was like, wow, that's interesting. We got a lefty. And then all of a sudden, when T-ball started at five, now all of a sudden, I, th I don't know if I had to give the glove back or something, but then I was now a righty. <laughs> so I ended up being a righty, but, but I, I'm kind of one of those weird guys where everything I do is right-handed, except I actually write and eat left-handed. Did you have any of that, or are you just pure lefty all the way through? You know, I'm a couple weird, weird little quirks. Um, pure lefty, except I kick everything right-footed. Okay. So what about golf? Elementary school, I, I kick, kick ball, football, right-footed. Um, and when I first started playing golf, 
my dad had right-handed clubs. I started to learn how to play golf right-handed when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't switch to left-handed until I was in high school. Okay. So you're, you're now lefty-lefty. Yeah, I can't hit a golf ball save my life right-handed now. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. So growing up, and you, you play different sports. Well, yeah, I played basketball up until high school. Yeah. Um, even my, my sophomore year of high school, I still played basketball. Um, played football up through junior high, um, and then baseball the whole time. Okay, quarterback for football or? You know, I played quarterback a little bit. I played yeah. a little bit of wide receiver, which I'm slow, so I don't know how I pulled that one off, but I did. Okay, very cool. So let's talk about at the point you get to high school, right? You're, you're pitching, you're left-handed. Now, did you play a position as well? Yeah, I played first base and I played outfield. Okay, so the only options you, for, 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 for a lefty. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I, I covered the left-handed options and that was it. At what point did they tell you that you can't hit? That's what's always interesting with pitchers. Um, I still think I can hit. Okay, that's what I was hoping um, you'd say. Yeah, because pitchers are the best athletes, even though you wouldn't, you wouldn't agree with me because you're a position player. Um, no, I hit all the way through high school. I, I hit a little bit in college. Um, and then I was fortunate to play in the National League, so I got a few at-bats in the big leagues. Okay, perfect. I, I fully agree. I, I, you know, when people, they talk about, well, pitchers are better athletes, position players, vice versa, right in the game of baseball. I'm like, look, if, at the big league level, like, they're all athletes, man. Like, there's no bad athletes that I'm aware of <laughs> that are big league players. No, you know, people would ask me, well, why can't you hit in the big leagues? I said, well, have you ever tried it? Um, but as, as a pitcher, that's not what you do anymore. Um, I'm supposed to get people out. I don't spend the time in the cages, working on my hitting, studying pitchers. Um, you know, I'm sure most pitchers, if they continued that through after high school and college and kept working at it, you know, they wouldn't embarrass themselves. I'm not saying they'd be great hitters, but they wouldn't embarrass themselves. But your focus changes, and, and you can't spend the time to do both. Right. Um, that's why, you know, Otani is so impressive, being able to do both in the big leagues for the Angels. Um, it's just amazing to me how you can have the time to focus on both those those skills. Yeah, and that's I mean, if I that's an eighty athlete, you know, on that twenty to eighty scouting scale, he's an eighty. You know, he's I I stood up next to him a few months ago when spring training started, and he's six five. You know, probably mm -hmm. probably two to just lean and strong, tall, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what they look like. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it's pretty interesting. So you get to high school, right? What, at what point do, do scouts for you start looking at you in high school? Was this not till later in college? What, how did that work for you? You know, they looked at me in high school. Um, there were some scouts that were following me. I didn't get drafted out of high school. Um, but they were around and they started keeping track of me. And they, I think a lot of it then was they want to see if I grow and fill out a little bit. Because when I was in high school, I was – you know, 6'1", 145 pounds. Um, a little fella. I, I, so, yeah, I had a decent height, but, but no weight on me, no, no muscle to me. Right. Um, so I think they wanted to see how I, you know, mature uh, more than anything at that point. Okay. And then where did you go to college? I went to BYU for a year. Um, played up there for one, one season. And um, 
I, I had a problem going to class, um, <laughs> which, you know, you have to pay for those mistakes at some point. Okay. Um, and so the second year they invited me to stay in school, but not play baseball. And being from Southern California, I didn't like the cold weather anyways. Um, so I came back and went to Glendale Junior College. Okay. Um, right in my hometown. And that's where I got drafted out of. Okay. So you spent two years in college. You said, screw this cold weather. I'm out. And then I'll, I'll go to a junior college. Now, at what point are you about, what, 160, 170 at this point, your second year in college? Oh, I was close to 180. Okay. So you, you put some man strength on, um, yep. starting to get more mature. What was that like for you on a, from a mental standpoint in going to a D1 school? Because this happens a lot, right? You go to the D1, something doesn't work out for you. Now you have to go maybe what you would probably considered as an 18, 19 year old is a step backwards because now I got to go to a JC, right? Where, where as a young kid, you're like, well, I, this is less than, but it worked out for you. You got drafted. So what was your mindset going through at that point? You know, I, I, I knew I screwed up at the D1 um, just because I wasn't mature enough to handle it. Um, my first time away from home, um, and I didn't handle it well. Um, Baseball-wise, I could handle it, but I wasn't prepared to handle the other aspects of college life at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it was, <clears throat> I don't want to say a relief, but it was okay for me to take that step back. Um, I wanted to keep playing, and so my options were to not play that year um, <laughs> and just focus on school or to, to play and then see where it took me. I, I had a, actually signed a letter of intent with Loyola Marymount mm. at Glendale um, to go there my next year. If you remember, Dave Snow was the head coach there at the time, um, which at that time, he was probably the preeminent pitching coach in the country. Um, so I was excited about going there, but then when I got drafted high enough to make me say, you know what, it's, this is what I want to do. I want to play baseball. Yeah. Um, and so I signed. Okay. And how old were you at this point? You 19 or 20 at that point? Um, I turned 20 the month after I got drafted. Okay. So your pro career starts. What's that like for you? Maybe it's just me, but I think all of us that played in the big leagues, you played there, you understand it. Um, We think we can get anybody out or hit any pitcher or do anything. I think you have to have that belief in yourself and that confidence. Um, You you understand you don't have the most talent all the time. There are people with more talent too harder than me. Um, But I knew on any given day I could compete with them. And so it was a blast for me when I started out. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really ever had failure on the baseball field um, when I started my pro career. And the first Three years of my pro career, I didn't either. Um, okay. And so it was so you're really cruising. Just, I, I was cruising. I mean, yeah. I, I got drafted in 85, um, played A ball that year. The next year I started in the Florida State League and then went to double A halfway through the year. I ended up with like 16 saves and was like eight and two that year okay. between single A and double A. The next year I started in triple A and was doing good. And I got called to the big leagues in 87. That fast. Um, that's fast. Wow. And so I hadn't had any failure up to that point. Okay. So I was still, you know, the world beater, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Um, I can get anybody out. 
Now, are you a starter or a reliever going through the minor leagues? You know what, I, I did, I started in A-ball um, and relieved, and then they turned me into a reliever for the most part. Okay. Um, so when I went to double-A and triple-A, um, at that point, I just relieved. Okay. What was your, how would you describe your arsenal? What did you throw? Oh, I threw an average fastball. Um, I had a excellent changeup, and I had a pretty good slider. Okay. So you, you established you establish your fastball with an average fastball. Now, back then, see, when I first started scouting 90, as far as velocity-wise, that was an average fastball. Now, 92 is, is average. So it's funny, when we, we coach high school games, I help with some club stuff here, and, and a kid is throwing like 89 or 90, and guys are like, ooh, and that's exciting, right? It's a high school kid's yeah. like 90. And they're like, dude, that's, that's going to get you drafted. I'm like, that, like that's that's a four fastball you know that's not even a five yet five is average so and you hate to downplay a kid as touching 90 but it's crazy how the velocity has changed over the years so we're talking around 85 to 87 so as a lefty what was average then was that around 88 to 90 what, what would yeah. you say is that about fair 87 to 90 right in there okay yeah so coming from a lefty, then you had a sweet changeup and a slider. Um, how did you utilize your arsenal? Like, what was your, your probably were you a, a lefty specialist or did you face? You know, in the minor leagues, I wasn't. I I I faced everybody in the minor leagues. I closed mm -hmm. some, um, and so I pitched to to everybody. Um, you know, moved fastballs both sides of the plate. Had a little movement on it. Um, you know, some good run. Um, worked my changeup actually both sides of the plate. Mm -hmm. um, had, a, had a decent slider, as I said. So I'd mix things up and, you know, usually change up for the right handers to get them out, sliders for the left handers. Um, when I got to the big leagues, they turned me into a lefty specialist in the big leagues. Okay. So that's, so you didn't get to that specialist until the big leagues. And that's, right. that's really when we, at the big league level, you start figuring out, okay, what role are you? Right. It's uh, you got your five starters, specialists, middle reliever, closers. Um, it, it's kind of interesting how a ball club is put together. And when you kind of take a step back and look at the roster, you're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, they're because people say, well, we have another righty that throws 97. You know, why is the lefty specialist in there? It's like, well, we need the lefties to get out lefties, you know, and and make that a little more difficult for a lefty. We don't need another 97 guy because we have three others back here. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that's the team philosophy, right? Whatever you need at that, that point. So that's awesome. So, so you're in the big leagues now, and you get to the big leagues at very in two years. Yeah. And you haven't had any failure yet. At what point do you experience kind of your first failure or where you really felt like you were struggling? Oh, um. My second year, 1988, um, I made the team out of spring training. Um, we started the season. I didn't pitch the first 14 games of the year. You're just and chilling. And so as a, as, as a young player, and you know you're not like the number one starter, um, you have a spot, but now all of a sudden I don't pitch for two weeks mm. to start the season when you know you're trying to get everybody in and get their feet wet for the year. Right. Well, your, your, your mind starts playing tricks with you. Well, what's going to happen? 
I can't screw up. I need to, and I have to get everybody out, have to strike everybody out. Um, I can't screw up the one outing I get in for because I haven't pitched in two weeks. And so that it starts playing with your mind and you start questioning your abilities. You start thinking about what other people expect of you. Um, and, and then when you do get in there, um, you put so much pressure on yourself to, to perform. And, and we all know that as, as athletes, when we put that much pressure on ourselves, we tense up and as a pitcher, stuff comes out flat. You don't have the, the jump on the fastball. You don't have the bite on the breaking ball. Um, as hitters, your, your swing slows down because you tense up um, and you don't perform. And that's what happened to me. I started, you know, not horrible bad, but mediocre. I, I didn't throw strikes like I did in the past. Um, didn't have a lot of success. And I ended up getting sent down that year uh, about the all-star break. Um, and then they actually tried to start me in the minor leagues that year to try and get me back into a groove. But I was so deep in my own head. Mm. I walked more people than I've ever walked in my life that year. And plus so that was my first really big struggle. And plus you're in Philly, so you're probably just freezing. <laughs> well, April. You, know, <laughs> you, you, start, you start the season, you go April, you're in Philly, you go to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Back then you went to Montreal, you go to New York. Yeah, it's a little chilly, yeah. Yeah, you're, I guess I'll just wait till May. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's interesting because, you know, it's, I love talking to pitchers because I, I wasn't one. So when, I, when you talk about, you know, what you guys go through, like you're in the bullpen, you're sitting down in the bullpen, you're waiting for your time to come, and a situation happens, like, oh, and you might be thinking, oh, that – that three hitter, that lefty's coming up, or the third and fourth hitter are lefties. I got it. They're going to get me up, ready, right, in the pen. Or they're going to get me going. And then it doesn't happen. Then you're like, well, does, does he not trust that I can get those guys out, right? So it's – that's – did you feel, feel like a huge amount of self-doubt during those moments too? Yeah, I, I felt that, you know, they didn't have confidence in me. They didn't think I could do the job. So then I started questioning whether I could do it. Um, and, and then you get in a situation where instead of being aggressive and trying to get people out by throwing strikes, you start trying to nibble at the corners. And all of a sudden, you're, it's 2-0 because you're trying to nibble and not because you don't want them to hit something hard. And so, and then that just feeds into the doubt because, oh, now I can't throw strikes. Then you have to pipe one down the middle and it gets hit off the wall for a double. <laughs> and then, you're like, oh. then you walk a guy and then the manager comes out and pulls you out. Right. Um, and so it was, you know, interesting. Mike Schmidt was my third baseman at the time. Um, and we were in New York while I was going through the struggle before I got sent down. And I came in to pitch to Daryl Strawberry. Um, and, you know, he could do some damage. Yeah, he's um, pretty good. And, and I went up going 3-0 on him. And so, and Schmidt, comes over from third base and he goes, hey, he goes, you're okay. Just throw it down the middle. He'll get out. And I'm going... And at that point, I'm like, what do I have to lose? Um, and so I did. I threw it down the middle. He hit a, a you know, lazy fly ball to, to center field and got him out. Um, sometimes we just don't trust ourselves enough because we, we get that doubt. And we think we have to be so perfect and so fine. And we, we lose what got us to that point, um, which is being aggressive and trusting what we can do and, and believing in ourselves. And when you start doubting yourself and not believing – and, and going away from what you did 
or what your abilities are, um, it, it just kind of snowballs on you and it just gets worse and worse. And it's, it's a hard tailspin to get out of. Yeah, that's, it's tough. You mentioned Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt's one of the greatest third basemen of all time. You were with him, it sounds like, 87, 92, like through, that the tail end of his career at the kind of around that time? Yeah. So, what, so that was obviously a huge lesson. So he's telling you, hey, dude, just trust your stuff. Like, so that's when a, when a hitter, sometimes as hitters, we give the pitcher too much credit. We're like, dude, he's going to miss. You know, at some point, just take advantage of when he miss, when he misses. And then you as a pitcher, you're like, dude, he's going to just get himself out. He's going to overswing. He's going to tighten up. He's going to try to hit at 500 feet. That's what happens, right? Yeah, it does. And, you know, <laughs> you look at the numbers. I mean, nowadays, how many guys hit 300 anymore? I mean, you make good pitches, and, yeah, you're going to get hammered once in a while if you make a good pitch. But if you make good pitches and hit your spots and, and change speeds, you're going to get people out most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to run into one. I mean, they're going to drop the head on the slider and pull it over the left field wall against me. But for the most part, if you trust your stuff and just do what you normally do, you're going to be pretty successful. Yeah. So I, I, I'm thinking in my head as you talk here, in 87 to 92 with the Phillies, when were the, the years that the Phillies won? Was that like 93, 94? Nine, yeah, 93. So the year that you leave – they yeah, win. They What's up with that? Serious. What's up with that? I think they just didn't like me. <laughs> I left and so they decided to win. You know what? It was exciting to watch. Um, I bet. A lot of I'm sure you knew team. all those guys, right? I, I did. And they're, they're my friends and it was exciting. I wish I was with them still. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have been part of it. Um, but it was still exciting to watch them and, and see my, my buddies succeed and get a chance to go to the World Series. I mean, everybody dreams of going to the World Series. And to have the chance to do that's just out. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it just reminded me of uh, when uh, when Bryce Harper just left the Nationals, right? Leaves one year, then the year after that, they, they win the World Series. The, you know, going to the Phillies, ironically. So that's interesting. Yeah. So Mike Schmidt, what were some of the? Uh, you probably got a Mike Schmidt story in here somewhere. You, you know what? Not really. I mean, the, the thing about, about Schmitty was, it, it, it's amazing, because he was as big a superstar, really, as there yeah. was in the game at that time. Um, but he was just down to earth. He came in and worked. He worked hard, worked at his craft, and just went out and wanted to perform the best he could every day. Um, and he was, I mean, friendly, talked to everybody. Um, you know, not real rah-rah or out there, but... Um, always there for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess the amazing thing, watching him take batting practice, the first three rounds of batting practice, everything was ground balls and line drives up the middle and the other way. And then maybe the fourth round, he'd try and turn on a few and hit a couple outs. But it's, you watch him take BP and you're like, what's so special? Because um, everything was just low line drives, ground balls, just trying to work on, on staying where he wanted to with his swing. Yeah, he was a big, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I read some stuff about him in the past where talking about swing playing, he was a big, like, really over-exaggerated the, the downswing, right? Kind of down and choppy in practice. Yeah. Um, and it, you can see it in his follow-through where he's a really low finish guy. And that's, that's 
the result of a choppy downward swing. Um, he, he's just probably thinking just backspin everything, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just the talent that he had hitting wise and defense. I mean, the plays you watch him make at third base, now, you don't win 10 gold, gold gloves for not being able to do a little bit at third base. Yeah. But for, for all you young folks out there, so Mike Schmidt was like the, the Nolan Arenado of our day, of the day in the yeah. 80s, right? He was, he was the man. He was, you know, Mike Schmidt, Brooks Robinson was even earlier before that. Um, but he was, he was a guy that you definitely watched if you were an infielder, a, a third baseman. And really that's, if you're drafting a player and you, you know, say he's a shortstop and he's got Mike Schmidt's size, you're like, God, this guy's going to have to go to third. You hope he becomes a Mike Schmidt. That, that's how good yep. this guy was. Absolutely. So, so it's interesting. So you're, you know, being in the NL East around that time, I was a huge, like probably a lot of people my age. Um, growing up in the TBS Braves era, um, you know, big, big Dale Murphy fan, you know, shares the same faith as we do. And I don't know if he was on that team, but you had a, a specific uh, a famous brawl, if you will, with the Atlanta Braves. So tell us a story about the brawl with the Braves. I did. Um, you know, it's baseball brawls are always interesting. Um, something usually happens. And actually, Dale had been traded to the Phillies, so he was actually on the Phillies at that time. Because he's a part of this story, right? He is. Yeah. Um, and so it was Dale Murphy night in Atlanta. It's the first time he'd been back since since the trade. Um, and there was a rain delay. They did a ceremony for Dale. Lots of people there. Um, we get in the game, and we're not doing very well. And the Braves are doing really well. And couple things happen. I'm in the bullpen and I come in to pitch, I think the seventh inning. Um, and I came straight from the bullpen. So, you know, relievers, we don't pay that much attention to what's going on <laughs> in the game, especially if you're losing by a lot. Right. Um, so I came straight from the, the bullpen to the mound. Um, I throw my warm-up pitches. Um, catcher comes out to go over the sides and says, um, you know, you, you got to hit the first guy who happened to be Otis Nixon. And so I said, okay. Um, <laughs> um, but pitchers never hit anybody on purpose. Everything never. slips. Never. Everything so, slips. So we're trying to go inside with the fastball, and I yanked it um, and missed him. Um, and I happened to yank another one right after that that got away from me a little bit and hit him just above the knee. And if you know who Oates Nixon was, his livelihood was stealing bases, so he wasn't very happy to get hit in yeah. the legs. And he decided to charge them out. Um, and so it was everybody emptied, and I was on the bottom of the pile. Yeah, and he's, like, one of the fastest dudes in the big leagues, and he got out there and, like, 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 like that. <laughs> yeah, and my, my catcher had no chance to catch up with him. Yeah. <laughs> so is that, is that the only brawl you've been in in your professional life, or was it there more of those? Or? Um, Let, maybe so, let's uh, stay there. Let's stay with the brawl. So – you know, first of all, I want you guys all to go Google the brawl because it's it's a it's great to watch it. You know, <laughs> Otis Nixon, Wally Ritchie brawl, whatever you want to, however you type it in. Um, but you're on the ground; people start piling up immediately. Are, are you getting crushed at the bottom? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, Meaning, I mean, like all the weight of everybody and everybody. Everybody's on top of you, and so you know. <laughs> 
you, you, you and the hitter are the first two in there. Um, but then everybody just starts piling on. And so you end up with, you know, 30 guys on a pile. Um, and you're trying to breathe and you can't move. And you really just can't do anything but wait till everybody starts getting pulled off. Right. Um, and, and you don't really feel anything because there's adrenaline going at that point. You don't feel anything until later in the night when all the adrenaline wears off. Right. So, so you didn't get hurt in that. Hopefully not. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, a little, little banged up. Because yeah. if I little like, you kind of you kind of threw your left shoulder at him, right? And which was your pitching I, arm? I kind of got kicked. In you, the like you kind of he kind of karate kicked you, right? And then you turned. Yeah. 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 So he, he he wanted to spike you and let you know where he's at, right? That's right. <laughs> That's interesting. So. Yeah, I mean, I I is I played it for a long time like you did too, and I had never been in like an actual f brawl where there's been times where benches have cleared, um, but I was actually never in a brawl like that where it had to pull people off. Um, so it's kind of interesting. You played that long that I never experienced that. Yeah, I've been in a couple others like that, but I was always in the bullpen. So I yeah. was by the time I got there. Yeah, yeah. you just kind of strolling out, talk to everybody and see how they're doing, and pretend yeah. to hold 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 on to somebody so they can't join in. And but th there's always those guys too, those big old big old pitchers, like the six seven dudes that are 280, 250, whatever. They're huge. That they like they're looking to fight. Like they they want to get out there. Yeah, you stay away from them. <laughs> You get hurt, but you're okay. <laughs> They'll kill us little guys. <laughs> that's right. They will. I'll get squished. Oh, man. So so that's awesome. So you, you have your brawl. You have your, you know, that's – I def, definitely Google it. Go check that out. It's a kind of fun to watch. I don't know what it, it – we love violence for some reason, people. Like, I, I'm drawn to the violent shows on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, no. And I am not a violent person at all. Like, I, I'm – complete opposite of that really but i i'm entertained with with the action of that so uh -huh. it's kind of interesting so yeah, you yeah so you have your uh your time with the phillies so like all of us there's a, comes a time and a point where um you get toward the end of your career how does that start to i guess you know dwindle down to where you now exit the game as a player you know it's I don't think any of us really want to exit the game. Um, we, we try to hang, most of us try to hang on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I played for a few years. I had four years in the big leagues. Um, went back to the minor leagues, you know, got released a couple times. Um, great feeling, right? St oh, it's a great feeling, yeah. Go home for a month and someone gives you a job and now you go to double A when you've been in the big leagues. and trying to hang on <clears throat> at that time went to spring training with the pirates um which was the strike year yeah um so they had the replacement players come in and then being asked every day if you'd be a replacement player um which wasn't at the top of my list to do and who who's um, asking you that because i did read that about you where they were constantly asking you to be a replacement player. um you know what it was front office people it wasn't the coaching staff jim leland was the manager then um, and I pitched against him a lot when I was with Philly. Um, coaching staff never asked me. It was it was front office people that were asking, um, and it, my answer was no. So I, you know, they ended up releasing me. And at that point, I said, "We just had our first child. 
I said, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and so I went home, um, worked for a couple of years and said, this isn't any fun. I don't like working. Um, tried to go back and play, went and played independent ball for two years and went to Taiwan for part of the second year. And then after that, it was just kind of like, okay, we're done. But my wife, remember the movie, The Rookie? Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife wouldn't let me watch that for like five years. Yeah, let's just, I just think about it. I can still pitch. I'll go get somebody out. And yeah. I want to go. No, it, it's interesting, right? Because you get those competitive juices flowing, right? And you, you step away from the game. You put a, put a foot into real life. You're like, man, well, this sucks real bad. You know, I'm, I'm in an office or I'm wearing a suit. I'm Now I got to listen to my manager when, you know, I just played in front of 40,000 people. And it's hard. Right. It's hard to kind of get back into that, to that, I guess that really that mindset. Well, yeah. And, and you don't, I think all of us players thrive on competition and competing. And now you're trying to replace that competition piece in your life. How, how do you replace that? Um, and, and the camaraderie you get, you know, you talk to a lot of, of ball players. I'm sure you're the same way, Chad, is that, the thing you miss, you miss competing, but you really miss the camaraderie you get in the clubhouse yeah. and, and the, the relationships you develop with, with certain people and just being around that because people say, well, how, how do you do that? You're gone four or five months out of the year and you don't see anybody. I said, yeah, but you go to spring training, you just pick it up like you, it was yesterday when you were together yeah. and you just carry on. So you miss that too. Yeah. Is it, it's funny about that because I guess guys are just like that in a way where like I talk to my wife all the time and you know they talk to their girlfriends and they'll, they'll get on the phone and they'll talk for you know an hour and a half and or, or you and I would go golfing and she'd be like well how's Wally doing I'm like he's good you know lives in Balboa he's lives in Newport he's like well did you talk about anything else I'm like no we just played golf you know and we talked about his brawl we talked about how he pitched against you know Daryl Strawberry you know and got him to pop up 3-0 and it's, it's just weird how we were just able to just get right back into it. You know, it's like we never left. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. That's cool. So you transition now, Al. You, you tried your, your run at independent ball like many of us. We want one last shot. Let's go do independent ball. That's usually the, all the players I've spoken to that experience that. It's usually one of the funnest moments they have in baseball um, because they just go play at that point, meaning they're – they're not putting extra pressure on themselves. They might be trying to get back to an organization, um, but they just go play. They're, they're, they finally learn how to play in the present moment and just be there with their team. Was that like that for you or was that completely opposite? No, it, it was, it, I mean, the, the only pressure there is pressure you put on yourself mm -hmm. um, to perform. And, and obviously you want to do well. And, and so it's, you know, you, you have a good time, you have a lot of fun. And really, it's there's no glitz and glamour in independent leagues. Right. Um, so you better love playing the game to go play there. And, and so you bring back some of that enjoyment that you had when you were younger because you just want to play. Yeah. And you, you don't want to give up the ability to play. And, and so I think for all of us that have gone that route a little bit, um, not all of us, the majority of us, that you just love the game and want to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously you're not playing in independent leagues for the money. Um, right. And the, the chances of, of getting back to an organization with big leagues are so small. It's, you better love the game to do it. Yeah, absolutely.
so you so you finish your playing career then you get into like a lot of us you're like well i still love this game a lot and i want to be around it so you get into coaching so when i first met you you were coaching like we started the call um you were at snow canyon high school which is in santa clara it's in saint george in utah uh great school uh head coach is reed Seacrest, our boy my former teammate did an episode with him a few weeks ago so what did you learn from coaching because i know you I don't think you're dabbling it now, but you you taught a lot of kids. What was that like for you? You know, it, it's it's fun to share what you learn um, and the experiences that you've had to try and help someone play. You know, a lot of high school kids think they're going to play in the big leagues, um, which is a great dream to have. Um, the chances are so infant infinitesimal, so small um, to actually make it. Um, but I, I'd always tell the kids, look, we can work on these, we can make you better. And if you get a chance to go play in college somewhere, whether it's a JC or a D3 or a D1, you know, if, if baseball can pay for some of your schooling, play it as long as you can. But let's try and get better and help a high school team win, um, help a college team, um, give yourself an opportunity to do something. And you never know, maybe you are that, you know, one yeah. in in a hundred that gets to play in the big leagues, um, but you want to help them. You want to pass on a little bit of what you've learned, what you've experienced. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the mental side of it, which I know you talk a lot about, Chad, and just how to deal with that and what to do. Tried to teach a lot of the high school kids that because they don't have any training in that, haven't experienced any of those things, how to deal with that side of the game either. That's awesome. So. You're, you're coaching, can you? I know you guys won a couple state championships. So, and you, you had some good players coming through there. How many state championships did you win when you were there? Oh, we won three when I was there. Just three, no big deal. Yeah, just three. Just yeah. three. Okay, now that's awesome. And then you eventually got to go be a pitching coach at your first year school at BYU, and you were there for a year. So, what was that like for you? You know, it was a blast. Um, it, was, it was a chance to be on the baseball field again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, that was as a job. Um, I was fortunate. Um, I knew Vance Law, who was the head coach at the time. Vance and I had played against each other. Um, and we, we developed a relationship over the years. And late in the summer, he needed a pitching coach because his pitching coach left and went somewhere else. Um, and so he and I had talked. And I said, what do you think if I applied? He goes, that'd be awesome. And so I did, and they picked me. And so I got to go up there and, and coach college kids for a year. And unfortunately, um, Vance was let go at the end of that year. And so the new coach changed the whole coaching staff. And so it only lasted one year, but it was a blast that one year. Yeah, and that was, I remember that. That's what, how long has that been? Eight years ago now? Nine years? Yeah, that was 2012. Yeah, so that was kind of right when I started scouting, um, and I had just known you from Snow Canyon, and because I know since I've been a scout, it's been Mike Littlewood and all of his staff uh, that yep. came over there, and they've done a great job over there. So, so then you, you had your one year at BYU. Now, did you go back to Snow Canyon, or did you say that's it for me on the coaching side? No, I went back to Snow Canyon. You did, right? Mm -hmm. how, how many more years did you spend there? Um, I spent there till we moved down here, which was 2019. Yeah. 
So you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back because you moved to Provo, correct? We did, but we kept our house in St. George. Yeah. Um, so we moved back in our same house and I told Reed I was coming back and I said, you got room for me still? And luckily he said yes. So we just picked up where we left off. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, you know, that just reminded me too of, uh, you know, we have a dear friend that I, he was one of my first episodes, one of my dear friends in scouting, Jeff Scholzen. And mm -hmm. when, if you go back and go back and watch a Jeff Scholzen episode, cause that's really awesome. Uh, talks about scouting, but Jeff lost his wife, um, you know, kind of a accident passed away and Wally lives right down the street from Jeff Scholzen at that time. And Jeff would tell me stories about, how you were so influ influential with him just being there for him. He's like, man, Wally was just there. You know, he would, we would just, I think he would come to your house and just play pool um, or it was vice versa. Or maybe you went to his house, but you were just there for him. What was that like for you? Yeah. I lived three houses down from Jeff. Yeah. And, and Jeff and I had known each other from a long time before back to his days when he coached at SUU. Yeah. Uh, at Southern Utah. Um, and so we, we developed, and we weren't real close, but when we moved into the neighborhood, we developed a good relationship. And if, if you know Jeff, and he's always out walking around, talking on his phone, um, mm -hmm. never sit still. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff would be out in the street walking. So I'd go out and we'd start talking. And um, after Heidi passed, yeah, we spent a lot of time together and played a lot of pool in his garage. Um, and just talking about things. And, and we had a good relationship. And we were good friends. And you know, sometimes you need other people and sometimes, um, you know, I need other people. And in this case, I was the conduit to be there for somebody else. Yeah, no, and I, and as a friend, I appreciate you being there for him. Um, sorry, he talks about that all the time with, you know, when, when crappy things happen in our lives that you really kind of get a sense of, of who are your true friends and who are, who's there for you, who's willing to, kind of go that extra mile, you know, to be with you. Um, so I appreciate you for doing that. I think that shows a lot about you and your character. And um, I certainly, you know, already respected you highly for who you are and your achievements, but for just doing those little small things that it shows a lot about you. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you, Chad. <laughs> so, so now you tell us about what you do in your regular old nine to five job. Baseball's over with. What are you doing now? Oh, I'm a finance geek now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I worked in, in, in municipal government um, for 15 years now. Well, since I was done playing and coaching on the side. Um, so I'm a work for a, the sanitation district down here in Orange County. Um, I run their whole finance department and oversee all the finances. Okay, beautiful. So you, you've gone from uh, the desert in St. George to uh, you living on Balboa Island now. So that picture in the back of your, your head, you get to see that every single day. What's that like going from the desert to living there? Oh, it's a lot different. It's a lot cooler here. Um, and we have the ocean right outside the door. You know, it, I grew up down here. Um, this is a spot, this area we vacationed all our kids' lives, um, and with my family when I was young. So it's kind of like home for us, too. Um, we love St. George area in the desert. Mm -hmm. um, gorgeous place, but completely different than the gorgeous stuff we see here. Um, so it was an adjustment, um, but it brought us closer to some family here. 
um, some new opportunities. And, and like I said, it's, you know, I don't miss the summers being 105, 110 um, when it's, you know, 78. Right. And I can go put my feet in the sand and touch the ocean. It's not all bad. Are you literally taking long walks on the beach? Yeah, we do. Almost <laughs> every night. Love it. Yeah. I, I was telling you before the call, we went out there and rented a house in Newport. First time we had ever done that. We were with another two other families. Um, you know, just like one little block right away from the beach where you can just, you can walk barefoot right to the beach. I'm like, this is incredible. You know, just the weather, you wake up, it's, it's gorgeous. Cause in Vegas, it's, you know, it's we're in the middle of September at the time of this recording, it's still a hundred degrees, you know, and it's sucks, <laughs> but you do it. And it, and it doesn't, it'll, it only cools down. It's starting to cool down a little bit, but the summer, all Vegas people, all the desert folks, we just want to get out of town that, you know, people go up North to Utah, Duck Creek and all that stuff, or they go mm -hmm. South to California. So it's now you get to experience that every day. So, so you have a lot of family members out living around you. Yeah. My, my dad's still down here. My sister, um, my daughter and her husband and, and my new little grandbaby, they're 10 minutes away from us. So yeah, we have family here. Awesome. Okay. Well, very cool. So you, you know, back to kind of your coaching and I'll, we'll help, we'll wrap this up and I appreciate your time here. What would you say, you know, in all your experience when you're helping coach high school kids, any like just kind of mental edge coaching that you would give a, a high school student? What, any suggestions you have there? You know, I'm going to go back actually a little farther, Chad, if it's okay. Um, Absolutely. When I was, had that first real struggle and I got sent back down on minor leagues and I just scuffled the rest of that year. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually talked to my old pitching coach at BYU. Um, after that season and that in the winter at following that season and, and we started talking about you know good books to read on 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 the mental game of baseball um, and and looking at at what we're trying to get out of it and I tried to instill this in my high school kids because it helped me a lot is that we can't control the expectations that for professionals the front office has um, the scouting director has, if you're trying to get into pro ball, what the scouts think, what they expect of you, um, what our parents expect of us. Um, you know, we set our own goals and we, we have our own things we want to accomplish. Um, but we can't worry so much about what we think others expect. Because if we, if we worry about what, what we think, not what they've told us they expect, but what we think they expect, or, you know, in the big leagues, what we think the press is going to say about us. Right. Um, we just lose all our focus. And, and so we, I really try to get the kids to just hone in on what do you want to accomplish to help our team win and how are we going to get there? And then if we, if we can focus on those things, we break it down into, you know, what are we going to do this pitch or to this batter? Because um, we always have a, we need to have a game plan for that one pitch. If we can win that one pitch, then we can go to the next one. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't get back the one you already threw, and you can't throw the one that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, really try and get them to narrow their focus in and shut out the things outside they can't control. Because we think we can control all these things outside of us, um, yeah. but we really can't. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway I learned for myself um, that helped me get back to the big leagues after that. 
um, is to shut everything out and focus on what I can do and how I can be the best that I can in that one moment, um, which is really hard to do. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy to shut out all those things. It's not easy to just look at that next pitch because you always think, well, I got Barry Bonds on deck. <laughs> so yeah, I'm thinking about him, but I got, well, I'm facing Bob Bonilla right now. I got to get him out before I can worry about Bonds. I have to make a good pitch now. Um, so I think that's the biggest takeaway I try to instill in them is it, focus on the here and now and try and shut out the other things that we can't control and can't do anything about anyways. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We just had a, got back from a four-game series out in uh, Salt River, and we had a particular pitcher that he was throwing 94 to 96. So there was pretty much all the area scouts were out there to see him. Um, he wasn't concerned about them at all, but I had another player who was, you know, I was, I kind of help and observe and help with the hitters. And as I'm watching, he's standing right next to me and, and I'm just checking on the, how's it going, dude? How you feeling? Like things going well. And he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to perform well for these guys. And I, I'm like, I go, Hey, I don't worry about those guys. Like they're, they're here to just do their job. You go out there and do your job. Your job is to go focus see the baseball and hit it. it. You don't make it any more complicated than that right now, right? You start worrying about what 30 guys are doing, saying, and thinking, like you just said, the big F word, focus. You, if you lose your focus, you lose what you're paying attention to, and now you start to spiral out of control, and now your thoughts just start going everywhere. Well, I, we all know how hard baseball is anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, even when you are focused and constrained the whole time. Yeah. I, we don't need to make it harder on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wally, this has been awesome, man. I, I really appreciate it. I love hearing stories, you know, about, um, especially you're a little bit older than me. So I, I know that um, sharing and, and hearing your experience is so cool because those experiences were when I was a kid and when I collected baseball cards, you know, and Mike Schmidt, I mean, come on, you know, and <laughs> you played with the guy. So you probably have many more stories and we'll, we'll share those offline. Uh, I'll, I'll come down to Newport and we'll play golf together or something and we'll, we'll share that. But, uh, but man, I appreciate your time and uh, we will see you um, catching some waves soon, I guess. Chad, thanks so much. It was fun to be here and look forward to seeing you. Awesome. Thanks. Wally, man, we'll talk to you soon and take care of yourself. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Hope you guys enjoyed that with Wally Ritchie. Wally's an amazing dude. He's had a lot of good stories to tell. I'm sure he has a lot more that he could have shared with us today, but what an amazing dude. I know he has a great family. So Wally, I really appreciate you coming on board today. And again, thank you for that. I wanna make sure you guys are aware that I am still coaching athletes one-on-one, -on -one, uh, mainly baseball players at this time, but any athletes are, are certainly welcome. If you go to LegacySportsClubhouse.com, uh, you'll find a lot of information in regards to the mental edge and how I'm coaching athletes. So I have a couple packages that you can look at and go through. I'd be happy to set up a free 30-minute consultation. Uh, typically, that's with a parent. Uh, parents tell me what their athlete is wanting to work on, making sure the athlete wants to work on certain aspects of the mental game. So you can check that out. Again, Legacy Sports Clubhouse. Dot com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.